Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. TCU 44, BYU 11. Frogs bounce back after a two-game losing streak, something they hadn't had since 2021. And my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, have things uh, all of a sudden, the attitude has improved, the sky is, 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 is sunny, the, the clouds have, have dissipated, and Frog fans are back on cloud nine talking about how they're going to go nine and three. It may not be that kind of euphoria, but we're going to get inside of what was a great performance by a uh, redshirt freshman in his first start, and the Frogs look pretty darn good against BYU. <coughs> so, so, Jeremy, I got you here. You know, I'm the minister, but but you're the prophet. I want to read you something, Jeremy, and you tell me if you've heard this before, okay? This was written, this was written back in uh, fall camp. Regarding Josh Hoover, the redshirt freshman quarterback is the most improved player in spring camp and continued to show that in the fall. He, Hoover completely transformed his body in the offseason, losing 25 pounds, got a step faster, and he continued to show flashes of being a mobile quarterback in fall camp. Hoover's arm looks stronger than it did in the spring, no, no doubt a result of putting in work during the summer. His accuracy looks on point, especially his downfield throws. Hoover did not get first-team rep, offensive reps in either camp, but he has shown that he is more than ready if something happens to Chandler Morris and that the Frogs have a capable backup that can run the Kendall Bryles offense. Jeremy, uh, where, where, who, who said that, and where did, where did you hear that from? And who sent me that screenshot about an hour ago? Some, some crazy guy, I guess. <laughs> what do they say about clocks? We said this last week. They're, all, they're, they're right twice a day, and sometimes I'm right. And, uh, you know, that was that – was, I'm glad that I wrote that because – it was something that I was seeing in, in spring and fall camp, and man, it showed on Saturday. Thank goodness. Yeah, it did. It did show on Saturday. Obviously, the frogs get a big win. Get a big win in the Big Twelve. Uh, come bounce back to two and two in in conference play. But Hoover goes out there. He's thirty seven for fifty eight, four hundred and thirty nine yards. This is obviously knocking on the door of, of plenty of, of records for a freshman, of records for a first start, uh, first time start in the Horn Frog offense. I believe that ties Kenny Hills uh, for the first start that you have in 2016 with 439 yards. Let's just assess his play. This is what everybody is talking about. We're we're going to have a chance to to critique and push back on a few things, not the least of which is should he have been starting earlier. But what was your observation from the press box on what was obviously a record-setting, historic first start for Josh Hoover getting the Frogs back in the win column? What I think is pretty much on par with what everyone else thought. I mean, he, he made good decisions. He threw the ball really good. He, he threw the ball downfield really well. And I think we said this last week. What, what did I tell you last week, Jeff? We're going to find out what the deficiencies were. We were going to find out – why this offense wasn't clicking. And I'm not going to point all of the blame to Chandler Morris like some people are. But it was one of those games that we saw Josh go out there and he had a full week to prepare. He didn't get thrust into action from the sideline. He had more than 30 seconds to realize what was going on. And when you look at how he started against Nichols, how he started against Iowa State and how he finished against Iowa State gave me a lot of optimism. But beyond just those two games that we really saw action in, I got a chance to see Josh basically in, what, 30 practices through spring and fall camp. So not to toot my own horn here, but I had a chance to see as much as Josh Hoover as the coaches did. And you you guys that are prominent uh, alumni that get to go out to practices all the time, y'all, y'all kind of saw the same thing. So – like like myself, yeah, prominent. Absolutely. Uh, but man, I was so happy for him. I was proud for him. He's such a humble kid. He's a hard worker and and it's kind of along the lines of what someone said several months ago. If someone made a comment, hey, if Josh gets gets the reins, he may not give them back. And I didn't go as far as saying that, but I also said that, hey, this is a kid that is very, very well liked within the program. He's he's liked by his teammates. The coaching staff loves him. Obviously, we heard some things that Sonny said about him on Saturday. He says he's the first guy. He beats the coaches there um, to to the offices every morning. He's the last kid to leave. Sounds kind of cliche, but when you look at Josh and how he performed, doesn't look too far off because he made he made some some excellent reads. Had a few bad plays and 
I want to I, I want to see him continue to to get better. That was that was one heck of a uh, opening debut. But I, I will caution some things. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. You know, Chandler in 2021 did come out and had 530 something yards against Baylor. They upset Baylor, and then the next week. It's against Oklahoma State, and he did not look anything like he did against Baylor. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna applaud what Josh was able to do against BYU, but I'm gonna tap the brakes a little bit because it was just two years ago when we were asking, why in the hell is Chandler Morris not starting over Max Duggan? So I would, I would advise everyone now if he goes up to Kansas State and he has a similar type performance, then yeah, then we start to have those discussions like we had last year when it becomes. Is Chandler going to get the job back? Because Max is playing so well. If Josh continues to play so well, then you got to start questioning again. Is this does Sonny give the reins back to Chandler? And and I'll go on record saying I don't think he does. Well, I think you're wise in your cautionary comment there. Obviously, Chandler Morris in 2021 um, in an emotional game, the first game in the post Gary Patterson era going out against your rival and who was the eventual Big 12 champion. They go out there and, uh, you know, Chandler had a game of his life. It, to this to this day, it is the game of his life. All Frog fans are, that are faithful remember that game. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the next week, the, the Big 12 runner-up, the Frogs go to Stillwater. And I don't know that I've ever seen a team get their head kicked in as much as they did that. They just ran the ball all over them. We couldn't do anything on offense. And uh, we're facing something comparable this week. I know Kansas State is not in the position that Oklahoma State was late in 2021, but anybody that wants to go to Bill Snyder Family Stadium and think that this is a this is a game that the, that you should control from the first from from the first kick is is confused to be very very polite. So the Frogs are going to have a, a challenge. Hoover's going to have a challenge going up there to Manhattan. But we're just here to talk about one game, and that one game was amazing. So everything that I saw and everything I heard and everything I listened to, tell me what you think. It talked about BYU was just committed to not get beat on the run. There were seven and eight guys in the box consistently that uh, they were not going to let Amani Bailey run for 175 yards against them. The the cohesiveness of the offensive line seemed to be there, but BYU was committed to not allowing the Frogs to be able to run the ball in the in in the way that they have at times this season. Do you think that contributed to Hoover having a little more time to be able to pick apart the defense, or uh, was was there an advantage created by the way the def- that uh, BYU chose to defend him? I think there was an advantage created um, because, like you said, there was. Most of the time, seven, eight guys in the box, especially early in the game, because really not a whole lot of people had seen a lot of Josh Hoover yet. You got little bits and pieces from two games this year, but I don't I don't blame their coaching staff, especially their defensive coordinator, with trying to make a redshirt freshman who's had limited experience play in these ball games. So I, I think when you look at it from that perspective, I applaud Kendall Browse for trusting Josh Hoover, and that's that's one thing when um, we we get we get to talk about coaching and execution, and I'm we'll talk about this later because I, I have a whole big discussion about it. But I do applaud Kendall because Kendall trusted Josh to do those things. And why did he trust him, Josh? Uh, Jeff, why did why do you think Kendall trusts Josh? Because he's seen him every day in practice. He knows what he's able to accomplish. So <clears throat> I I felt like. It was a combination of things, kind of like when TCU played Colorado. They didn't have a lot of tape on Colorado, obviously not a whole lot. Uh, they didn't really trust how Shador Sanders was going to go out there and throw. And I really don't think BYU trusted how good Josh Hoover was going to be. I, but at the same time, at the same time, I'm still going to give Josh a lot of credit because the guy was making great decisions. He was throwing catchable balls. His receivers, I'm going to, I need to just pound my desk. I don't want to bust my hand though. They got to catch the ball. That's Jeff, by the way. He's, he's, you're, you're pounding on something over there, <laughs> but you're moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Receivers got to help them out. I mean, you had five or six drops. Sonny docks called them out again for, for dropping the pass. And, and, but man, we can't, we can't, we can't say enough good things about it because it was, it was really, the best way I can describe it, a breath of fresh air, because it, it kind of gave us a glimpse. Yeah, TCU became one-dimensional, but they dominated the game in such a fashion that now, moving forward, teams got to 
teams got to know, hey, we can't make them one-dimensional. If we try to stop Hoover, then Imani Bailey's going to run all over us. We try to stop Imani Bailey, Josh Hoover can make any throw on the field. And now his receivers, who, ironically enough, they stepped up their game. Some of them did. Savion stepped up his game. JP stepped up his game. Jalen Robinson stepped up his game. We still got a couple guys that need to step up their games a little bit more. But I think what Josh Hoover just showed for the rest of the Big 12 is, hey, TCU's not bad, and it's not going to be an easy W. So now, Jeff, now I feel like – Last week I said there wasn't a team I thought they could be left on the schedule. Now my optimism is back. I'm here to say, I'm here to say, if we get Josh Hoover playing that way every week, there's not a team left on this schedule that I don't think TCU can't get a win against. So I, I don't want to be too. They're not. I'm not sitting here saying they're going to go nine and three, but I do feel a lot better. I feel. Let me tell you this way. I feel a thousand times better with TCU going to Manhattan next week than I did um, last Sunday after driving home miserably from Iowa State. Well, all trips back from Ames are miserable. But, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just agree with what you said. You know, I want to limit my optimism. What I really want to do is just celebrate that a redshirt freshman got his first start, came out, put a win on the board against a 4-1 team. You can say that BYU's not, you know, 05 Texas – Hey, they went on the road and beat Arkansas. Did you see what Arkansas did against uh, our, uh, Alabama yesterday? So this is just, you know, it, it's hard to, to, to have the connectivity of who's good and who's not. All I know is they beat a 4 and one team that had a win on the road in, at, at, at Arkansas, an Arkansas team that, that fought to the end against LSU, that fought to the end against Alabama. That doesn't mean that BYU is going to win out the rest of the season, but it does mean that a first uh, a first start for a redshirt freshman looked really, really solid. So you referenced the the, the receiving core, which where there were some real highs and a, and a couple of duds, but I just want to focus in on, on the three that you picked out because that's who I wanted to pick out. Obviously, we got uh, Pope John Paul Richardson, Williams, Robinson. The three of them combined for 19 receptions and 249 yards. That is amazing numbers. And so I, I, I'm going to lean in a little bit to what you said we don't want to talk about. It. And I'm not here to just, you know, praise the new guy and trash the old guy. There is clearly a connection that Josh Hoover has with the three best targets on the team at wide receiver that was lacking <clears throat> lacking in the past. And there's some things that can contribute to that. Health, timing, I don't know. But you cannot argue that Josh was locked in with JP, with Savion, with Robinson, unlike anything we've seen up to this point in the 2023 season. Yeah, I was I was real happy for all three of those guys. Surprisingly enough, that's J- JP's first ever 100-yard receiving game. I, I, I couldn't believe that. Uh, Savion, man – he was just so stinking clutch yesterday. He had he had a couple really, really nice catches. There was a – I want to say it was maybe the first drive they had. It was a third and ten, and Josh throws it up, and Savion just comes down with a magnificent catch. And you could tell Josh was trusting him on those cr- critical down situations, uh, second and long or third and, third and eight, whatever. Uh, he was going towards Savion, and, and, and they had that – pitch and catch route all day long. I mean, Savion could literally run down, stop 10 yards, and Josh was hitting it right right on the chest every time. And, yeah, he got a couple passes batted down. Maybe not more. Maybe not just a couple. Maybe about three or four. I can't, it was a two. I can't remember. I'm looking at Jeff through the screen here. So I think, uh, I think, I think it was three. Okay. Uh, but, man, I thought Jalen Robinson being back too, he – he didn't have a he didn't have a really deep catch, but there's just something about that speed there that you have to respect. And JP, the same thing I said about Josh. I'm I'm right about this too. JP has deceptive speed. People don't think he's moving that fast, but he is moving fast. That 42 yard touchdown, he ran away from those guys. So I, I really like what I saw in all three of those guys. Liked what I saw from Jared Wiley. How about that seven yard? touchdown catch where he just wheeled his way to the end zone and Jordan Bailey Jordan Bailey there we're gonna we're gonna talk I, I want to talk about a couple throws because I know you have a couple throws where you're just sitting there thinking oh my gosh 
that was that was pretty awesome. But there was there was two throws that I have in mind uh, during that game where he he made some clutch clutch passes, and uh, I even had to ask Sonny about it. I had to ask a couple guys about one of those passes. But was there any was there any particular passes that that just you're sitting there watching on TV and you're thinking, man, that that is a heck of a pass. I don't know if Chandler can make that. Well, the one to Bailey is is the one I had noted that I wanted to get to. So I thought that moment was that was a throw that wasn't going to happen a week ago. That was a throw that wasn't going to happen all season. But uh, you know, even you know, even a couple of those catches. You know, again, this is going to sound so derogatory. I saw a throw that was unmatched with an effort at the wide receiver core that was unmatched up to this point. There were times when, you know, like, like we said about Savion Williams, he was making a play on the ball that I don't want to say he was dogging it the first six games. That's not what I'm saying. But there was a there was a combination between the throws that Hoover could make and the commitment of the receiving core to make sure that that good throw was honored. Whether that was fighting off the, the, the hand fighting with the D-back, that was positioning themselves, like you said about Wiley, he's going to get those last few yards. He's going to get that ball in the end zone. We're not going to peter out in the red zone again. There is just some connection that was present. It's one game. It's a one-game sample. Quentin Johnston and Chandler Morris had a lot of connection in 2021 against Baylor. So it's, it, this is what it is. It's a one-game sample. Th- those are the throws that I saw that really that spoke more than to the moment, but to what was clearly a good week of practice and a commitment of the receiving core to to honor the work of their quarterback. That's the, that, that's the best way I can summarize it. Yeah, Bailey's throw was definitely one of them. That that route, I mean, Bailey just ran down the sideline and and – Josh just he threaded the needle on that play. He just put pinpoint accuracy on that throw. And that's like you said, that's something that we had not seen this entire year. Now, we saw Chandler make some good throws against Houston, but that throw right there in that window was just tremendous. The other throw was going down the same same end zone. He kind of gets flushed out of the pocket a little bit and it's funny because when we see Chandler get flushed out in the pocket like that, we're like, run, 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 or Max, run, run, run. And for a, for a lot of us up there in the press box, we're like, man, just just wait, throw, 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 because he's such a, a good passer. But there was one where he got flushed out. He's kind of rolling to the left, shuffling to the left, and he throws an absolute rope to J.P. Richardson on the sideline for 21 yards. I, I, I thought, okay, DB's about to get a pick. And Nick, it went in there perfectly. Melissa's up in the press box and Jamie, we're just like, oh my gosh. I mean, we can we cannot believe that throw. Steven Johnson, same thing. He's just shaking his head over there. And though that throw right there was was another throw, like, okay, Josh, Josh is dialed in. Then a couple of plays later, he throws that touchdown to Warren Thompson. But the there was another throw that I'd been saying, I, I mentioned this this week. That throw to uh Rodgers in the fourth quarter on that seam route. That's something we saw all fall camp. When I said tight ends are going to get involved, that's literally the route that I saw Jared Wiley catching uh, catching that pass on the defense. Almost every practice we were at, hey guys, they're going to get the tight end involved. I'm telling you right now, and that's that's the route. I wasn't going to describe too much how they're going to get involved, but that's the route they're they were throwing downfield. So I love that pass. The pass to Dalen Wright, if Dalen hauls that in, he might still be running toward, you know, South Texas because that ball was placed in a perfect spot where only he can make a play. Now, I know people in stands, if they're watching the play come toward him, it looked like it was just out of reach. From our vantage point, from the press box, we're behind the play. He reached out his arms and went completely through the hands. So it was it was not only a perfect throw, but Jalen made a good adjustment. He hauls that in. We might be talking about Josh throwing for over 500 yards. You know what I mean? So those throws right there just really stuck out in my mind. And I hope we get to see him again this week in Manhattan. 13 different wide receivers – or 13 different receivers in this game. 13 different people caught a pass. That is uh, a distribution to uh, a high quantity. So I, you got to feel good about that. All right, I want to put you on the spot here for something, Jeremy. So I have permission to talk about this. Uh, 
So I didn't get to watch the game live. I've watched it uh, this today after church. I went back and watched the whole thing. So I listened to it on the radio. Long story, I was coming back from Iowa. I had I did the funeral for my high school football coach. I had to preach that. It was uh, heart-wrenching heart and, and beautiful all at the same time. But anyway, I got to listen to the radio. I got to listen to, to Landry and, and Estridge and Elvis on, on the sideline. And it, it was great. It was the first time I'd listened to that combo. It was amazing to listen to them. Late in the game, when they're just chewing clock and killing time, uh, Estridge and Landry start talking about, well, you know, Sonny Dykes really blit the team up last year after or last week after the Iowa State game. And my gosh, he just let them have it. He was screaming at them, and they, they got lit up. And then he got onto the coaching staff, and he let everybody on the offensive coaching staff know that he was not happy and they were going to fix this thing. And I, I had heard a rumor that that had happened as well. But they're on the radio just, just talking about how Sonny had, had just was not going to settle for this anymore. And I don't know, I, you know, I, I was, I'm old school, man. When I got yelled at, it was, I responded to it. Now that I'm 48, I just kind of blow it off. I would say whatever Sonny needed to say or said to them post-game and then throughout the week, it got through because there was a, a difference in play. We haven't gotten to defense yet. There was clearly a, a sense that they were locked in and they were not going to let this game slip through their hands and they were going to play at a level they had not all season. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, They're talking about that on the radio, yeah. Um, I'll put it to you this way. We were close enough. Sonny did have messages for, for the players and coaches and there was one point where um, the door opened and I saw Elvis out in the hallway and all I'll say is his eyes were as big as softballs and uh, it was like a deer, deer caught in headlights. That was Elvis's look. And, um, yeah, Sonny's message got across pretty clearly, especially to his offensive guys. Yes, it, it did get through. All right, well, you said you wanted to talk about coaching and execution and that, that clearly there has been uh, an, an impact from that. The team executed better, even though we could all list off the mistakes of how we should have had 60 points. But what's your observation and assessment of how coaching and execution kind of came together in this game for Hoover to be able to shine and for everybody else to come along? It's just what I was saying earlier. I, I, I think I think we don't give these coaches sometimes enough credit to know what players succeed in certain situations and what players don't succeed in certain situations. It's like I know someone had mentioned last week against Iowa State, you know, Corey, Corey Wren's in there. And in, and he drops he drops a wide open pass and I think someone had mentioned well why is Corey Wren in there in that situation? What I would ask to people is how many of you guys are out there to know if Corey can make that situation happen or not? We don't get to, I mean unless you're unless you're Lynn Ross and you're making that post then I'm not going to believe you. Plain and simple, I'm not going to believe an equipment manager or, or your buddy tapes up wrists out there. I don't, I don't listen to those guys. Um. But the fa- fact of the matter is, is Anthony Jones felt like Corey, because he's seen him make those plays in practice, felt like he can make those plays. And so, to me, we, we've had this whole coach in and it's execution. So, when I look at that, that's an execution thing. When I look at what we saw against BYU, I, I give it both coaching and execution – like I said earlier, I, I I applaud Kendall for knowing that Josh can relish in those situations because he's seen it so many times in practice. And you've got you've got to give props if we're going to call out coaches for their deficiencies. We've also got to give them praise for letting them do what's getting you know they're they're taking what's given to them. I don't remember seeing anyone complaining about the run game. I think I saw one person say they need to run the football. No, they don't. Why do, why do they need to run the football? They're killing them with Josh Hoover. We don't need to run the football just to build the stats. The offensive line did a phenomenal job protecting Josh Hoover. Phenomenal job. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that that's going to get enough credit. I mean, Josh said it after the game. Like, I don't think he, I mean, honestly. He probably got hurried maybe two, three times, maybe the whole game, and you got You got to get. You got to give credit to the offensive line and, and their execution. But I'm I'm telling you right now, 
there's never going to be a perfect game in anyone's eyes from a coaching standpoint. Everyone's going to have a, a complaint. Like the, the 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 fourth and one where they punted, they're inside their own 40. Um, the fans obviously wanted them to go for it. Sonny punted. Yeah, Sonny punted. Okay, people, people didn't like that decision. There was a play late in the game where they're lined up fourth and inches and Jack Besh runs a slant pattern. Now, the cynics are going to argue, why don't we just run the ball there? Okay? But what happened on that play, Josh? Oh, Jeff. Why well, I keep calling you Josh? I'm so strung up on Josh. Jeff, on that. We, 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 we look the same. <laughs> I, I heard you guys do play quarterback the same. But anyhow, it's a fourth and short situation. You're thinking, okay, well, they should just run the ball, hand the ball off to Monty. But they're taking what BYU has given them. They split out Jack Besh. He runs a slant. Where was that ball at? Was it over? Oh, it was right. In his it wasn't overthrown. It was no. right no. in his mitts, right? Right in his mitts. He should have Dropped had that. It. So at that point, I'm asking you, and you could tell me, and you can you can answer for to the board because I'm I'm with I'm with some guys. Yeah, maybe run the ball in that situation, but you still had a you still had a positive play that ended up negative because of execution. That is because of execution. He should have caught that pass. He he could he had he had yards to to gain by catching the pass. He had the first down, but he had, he had some room to go. That was a touchdown. He dropped it in. He basically dropped it in the end zone. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that that was that was that was there. That was there. And so if you want to talk talk about what what do we pile on? If 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 he if he catches it and scores, everybody says that's a brilliant play call. And if he drops it, everybody complains that it was a bad call. Whatever choice, whatever you you have to accept the call is the right call, independent of the result. And you know, I think that I think that's the thing. You know, let's go back to the GP era. Gary Patterson goes for two at West Virginia in 2012. Josh Boyce rips it in. Gary Patterson goes for two in 2011 against uh, Boise State. They haul it in, and we win. Gary Patterson goes for two against Oklahoma in 15. We don't get it. Why didn't we kick the field goal? It worked all the other times. And uh, it on the road, you always go for the kill. I think I've already made this point this season. But you have to accept that you made the right – now, you can question did they make the right call, but if he catches it, everybody says he made the right call, and that's not the right way to determine it because execution is where it's at. GP used to always say on the road you go for two because – when you're on the road, you've got to take the ball game. You got to take the ball game. You got- All, right, let's All right, let's flip over the other side of the uh, of the ball. This is the best defensive performance of the year. Don't talk to me about Nichols. This is the best defensive performance of the year. The Frogs give up 11 points. I I felt great about the way the defense played. I think you know. Here's a few things. I think this is Dom Williams's best game of the season. I definitely think. This is Sony Misi's best game of the season. And I know everybody listening is going to hate me saying that. But Sony Misi came to play. And so I felt like the defensive front played as well as they had all year. I was glad to see Rick get in there and get some get some snaps in at defensive end. I felt like he contributed. But I, I give a lot of credit to the defensive line. I know the I know the secondary had a pretty solid game as well. But you can't complain about anything. You give up 11 points in a conference game, that is about as good as it can get. Like you said earlier, this is a team that went down to Fayetteville and beat Arkansas. They scored 31 points against Arkansas, and Arkansas lost to Alabama by three points on Saturday. So that you're right. That defensive line, holy cow. Big Dom had a great game. Sony had a big game. I don't care. I'm not going to be mad at you for saying it. I agree with you. We were in say, saying it in the press box. He was having a good game. Every time you look up, 99's in there trying to trying to cause havoc in the backfield. So props to him. We got to see Marcel Brooks a little bit, Jeff. We got to see him early on. Oh my gosh, why didn't we blitz him every play? I think they tried, and you know, you know maybe maybe Coach Gillespie was reading HFB and just decided to trot him out there because he did make eight tackles his true freshman year for a national championship team. So. Don't forget that. But, no, I was happy for Marcel because, you know, he he has been putting in the work and uh, he practices hard. 
he's an emotional guy. I like to see I like to see that guy out there making plays. But we saw uh, Ish Burdine. Ish Burdine played a lot of football on Saturday. Got he's a guy that when we're at Big Twelve Media Days, the players told me and Jamie, hey. Y'all better watch out for Ish Burdine. That kid has been wrecking it this summer. He's had a tremendous summer. Can't wait to see what he does. He's just kind of always battled injuries. But he is a big dude. The He got a phantom pass interference call on him. That was great pass coverage late in the game. I don't know if you remember that play. But, but yeah, 11 points, 243 total yards, 152 yards through the air, 2.8 yards per carry. That's the TCU rush defense that we were seeing early in the year. Man, they just put it all together. And you get you start off this game with a great pick by Bradford. I'll call him Millard because that's what he wants to be called. Everyone still calls him Nook. But great pick. Pick six by Bradford. Start the game. Offense, the defense goes back out there, forces another quick three and out. Offense gets it. Goes right down the field and it's fourteen nothing with ten oh nine and I'm thinking this is twenty fifteen Texas all over again. This is awesome. So props props to the defense, man, because you got a defense that's playing that way, and you got an offense that's playing that way. That's the way those games should look. Those games should be, you know, thirty point blowout wins. And man, I, I don't I honestly, unless unless you just like to complain, I I don't know how anyone can really complain about the way the defense played on Saturday. I don't think you can pl- complain about the way the defense played on Saturday. I feel, I feel like there was again there was some gelling on that side of the ball. Uh, the defensive line obviously uh, was was not going to be pushed around by one of the biggest offensive, uh, one of the bigger offensive lines in the Big Twelve. You know, maybe in the country. I know. All jokes aside, those guys are big. They're older. They're strong. And I feel like the defensive line played really well. One of the other things I liked is. I felt like they had a pretty good rotation that allowed for consistency as well as getting some new guys in there. I don't know what you think, but I felt like there were some guys that we've been wanting to see get on the field that were able to make an impact. You you, you mentioned Burdine. I thought he played very well in this game, but I felt like there were some others that were able to come in and the, the defense held up their end of the bargain. If they do something like that against Kansas State, you know, there's no reason the Frogs can't uh, can't get a road in, in Manhattan, get a win on the road in Manhattan. Yeah, that <clears> – <throat> It was nice to see guys that I mentioned earlier. Jamel Johnson's another guy that continues to to make plays. And Josh Foster had a nice pass breakup late later in the game. And oddly enough, it was Brad Bradford's first start of the year uh, at safety. So way for, good way for him to start. But uh, I I just I I look at this I look at this defense and I look at BYU eleven points. That's their lowest point total of the year. For BYU. Now they did beat Sam Houston fourteen to nothing. So everyone's gonna they're gonna look at that score and be like, "Well, see, BYU sucks. They only beat Sam Houston fourteen to nothing." Um, but I, but I look at I look at the other games. I look at I look at Arkansas. I look at Cincinnati. Cincinnati got beat by Iowa State, but who cares? Kansas State's going to be tough, man. Kansas State is going to be very tough. It's they they've they've discovered lightning in a bottle themselves with a true freshman quarterback and Avery Johnson. And uh, you know he's a, he's a guy that TCU heavily recruited. Um, he visited campus a couple times. Uh, the previous staff loved him. Dan Sharp was on Avery pretty much right after his sophomore year. Avery's probably still only about 180 pounds. He was probably about 155 pounds when I met him. Um, but he's fast. He's he's going to present a challenge for sure for the frogs. Well, when we were on here last week, there were plenty of things to complain about, offense, defense, but I think what we were whining about the most for the last couple of games was special teams, especially go back to that West Virginia game. Hey, we not only stepped up on both sides of the ball, but in the third third element of the game on special teams, you have to feel good about the progress, at least the stability that was shown. Kel goes out there, three for three, glad to see him get his confidence, glad for him to be able to get some good kicks back under his belt, feel good going down the stretch here. The Frogs got a hand on, I believe it was three different punts. It didn't mean they blocked the punt and ran it back. But their punt pressure, their punt rush was uh, a, a sight to behold. And so on, on 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 special teams, I know we got to feel good about the staff and feel good about the effort. But for Kel, as well as to be able to get get a, you know, 
we're, we're going to require Kansas State to focus more time on on punt protection, and that's that's time they're not spending on offense or defense. So I was really pleased with the special teams, and I felt like they brought it all together in this game. Yeah, props to Griff, man. He got out of his head, hit three uh, field goals. He had a 47-yarder that probably would have cleared it from 55, had a 40-yarder that was beautiful. And there was there was no doubt on any of his kicks. Uh, you're right, man. That that punt punt return team. As far as getting pressure, man, it seemed like every single time BYU went back to punt that TCU was about to get a block every single time. Uh, the only negative I would say about special teams and really the entire game and in the same thing everyone else is waiting for me to say. They still have question marks at punt return. We saw JP bounce one off his chest. And I think if he catches that one, he's running for a long time because BYU had outpunted his his coverage a little bit, kind of like me with my wife. But they uh, didn't do well on kickoff return either. There's going to be a time where I think they're going to tell Major, hey, we know you run a 10-3, but you're only getting it 16 yards every time. So just call a fair catch and let it start at the 25. But other than that, I mean, I thought I thought special teams was much improved. Jordy Sandy only had to punt one time, so that should kind of tell you how the offense was clicking all day long. If you only when's have to, the, pu- when's the last time something like that happened? I don't know. Page and Mark Mark I mean, I Cohen. Have to go look at the Iowa State game last year, maybe. Mark Cohen knows. Mark Cohen knows all. Um, but no, I mean that that to me. If 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 there was going to be a, a unit that had a a, a bad grade, it, it would be the return game still. I, but I still think that's something that could be fixed. Yeah, it's something that can be fixed. That's for sure. But we, I, I think the frogs have got to start fair catching. That's what I got to say on the on the kick return. You know, these kicks that are getting run out of the end zone to the fifteen and sixteen. That is that is just yardage we're leaving on the field. And with being able, you know, needing to set up. Uh, uh, Hoover for success, set up the offense for success on the road in Manhattan. Just let it go. Go to the 25 and, and, and see where we go from there. Well, speaking for going, going to Manhattan here, uh, here's my question, Jeremy. Who's the third best team in the Big 12? If we have Oklahoma number one, Texas number two, it seems like nobody wants to be number three. If I had to have a vote, I'd say Iowa State. How's that? How's that? How's that? Iowa State. Well, Jamie and I had this conversation yesterday on Saturday because we were trying to figure out there's there's still a there's still a weird chance because the Big Twelve keeps knocking off each other. Oklahoma has no losses, Texas has one, TCU has two. And I was telling Jamie, I said, Well, technically TCU is mathematically not knocked out yet because they could go on a run. Remember back what year was that when when uh, Brock Purdy was a freshman. TCU had just beat Iowa State, and they had some random quarterback. Can't even remember his name, but that guy ended up going to South Carolina as a GA, and they pulled him off the GA staff to play quarterback. But anyhow, that was the quarterback. The very next week, Brock Purdy starts for Iowa State, and they finished the season 7-1 and one with a true freshman quarterback. So it, it's possible TCU could go on a little run here and still make some noise. But I don't know, man. Three right now. I think that was 2018. Yeah, it was it was Purdy's freshman year, I, and I remember them going seven and one because it kind of became the story of the of the Big Twelve. But I don't know, man. West Virginia, you could have argued until they started acting like knuckleheads down in Houston. They had that game wrapped up, and what a, what a game! Yeah, so what a game! <laughs> they, I mean, they could they could be sitting five and one overall right now, and and, and what still with one loss in the. Big 12, but no, they lose to a bottom feeder. They lose to Houston. Kansas loses to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, I don't know what the heck they are. Uh, Iowa State, I mean, you do have a good argument for them. I mean, what are they now, four and two? Is that what they are? Yes, yes that's what they are, and they're undefeated in, they're undefeated in Big 12 play. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they whipped up on Cincinnati pretty good, 30 to 10, so – I mean, maybe maybe they're not as bad as people thought, or maybe some teams just aren't as good. I think it's kind of somewhere in between. But, yeah, I, I really don't know, man. It's a great question because Texas Tech, their wheels have completely fallen off. They lose to 
Kansas State. Kansas State, I still, I still think Kansas State's probably that third team, especially with the way Avery Johnson's been playing. I mean, he's he's another dynamic. I mean, he's he he's going to help that offense. He's going to make people frustrated on defense. But I would say you have an argument right now between, even though. I would like a chance to see these games played with Hoover, Iowa State, and, and West Virginia again because I think we're talking about a much different team. Um, but I, I, I still, I still think it's, I still think it's Texas. I still think it's OU Texas, probably Kansas State, and and I really feel like I still feel like TCU's up there. I really do. Well, you saying that, I'd really like to see Iowa State and West Virginia with Hoover, uh, goes to what I wanted to talk about to, you know, I don't want to say just wrap up the show, but I didn't want to kick off with it because it sounds like such a, uh, it's it sounds awful to say, and I don't like, you know, we, we have a tradition and a kind of a rule. We don't throw student athletes under the bus. If they make a mistake, we say it. If they're not playing well, we'll talk about it. There's just no denying that this is a different team with Hoover. It's one game. We've said that a hundred times, but... I, I, I have felt like Chandler is what has been holding them back. And that doesn't mean he's not talented. That doesn't mean he's not uh, a, a quality human being. That's that should, that should go without saying. I just think he's a great seven-on-seven quarterback. And that is different than going out there and playing in, in tackle football. And so I don't mean that to be demeaning in any way. I, honestly, I'm just being, getting nervous saying it because I, I don't want him to hear this. But Hoover has improved the team. And I think he's he's set up for this offense. And I agree with you. I think the games would be different against West Virginia and against Iowa State. And all of that execution that's intertwined with play calling and coaching, I think that is obviously improved with Hoover being there. And so I think if Hoover had uh, started, we, we, we might have still lost to Colorado and then won out between uh, week one until now. But as it stands, the frogs are, are four and three, and they got Hoover riding them. They get to ride Hoover through the rest of the season. Does that does that hit with you? Does that sit with you, or am I totally off base? <clears throat> no, I know you're not talking about about Chandler. Um, I I still think Chandler's a good quarterback, and this and this is kind of what I went over last week on the Frogcast, and and um, what I've gone over some on the board this week. There's just some players, Jeff, that look great in practice. There's a reason Chandler I, – I know the argument is how can Sonny name Chandler as the starting quarterback last year and look at what Max did. How can you name Chandler the starting quarterback this year? Now look what Josh did. Sonny can't pick a quarterback. There's a conspiracy theory. Like There's something that Chan, Chandler has to start, something to do. I, I, I don't buy all that. I've been out there at those practices, and I and I said it. What you read at the beginning of of the show is what I saw. There there was a reason why Chandler was starting because he makes so many good plays in practice. But there are situations where in games, and we even asked this to Sonny last week after Iowa State in his frustration frustrations. What do you think goes on there? And he was dumbfounded. He couldn't he couldn't really give a good answer. And it's like he gets in his head. And he tries to do too much. That's the best answer he could give. And I think that's kind of what Chandler does. Um, I think you're right with saying that the team just seemed more energized. Um, it it is. I've had I've had someone tell me this, and I won't say who told me this. Um, I've had I actually had a few people tell me this, and and I'm not saying I agree with it, but it is kind of eye opening. It's surprising to me to not see a C on Chandler's jersey. Because as us that watch college football, how many times do you not see a quarterback not have a C on their jersey? So I'm not trying to start things behind the scenes like Chandler's a bad teammate because everyone says Chandler is a excellent teammate. He's a great teammate. But it's hard to argue with what we were talking about earlier, just the way it felt like some people – picked up their game. I'm not saying again, so I get it out there perfectly clear and people don't say I'm dogging Chandler as a bad teammate. Chandler is a great teammate. I just thought when someone tells me that it is, it does kind of open my eyes a little bit and think, okay, well maybe, 
maybe there is something to it because I'll promise you right now, I'm not trying to hurt any feelings, but I could tell you right now, the team played better with Max last year than they did with Chandler because people will tell you, I don't, I don't give a care if there's, you know, the biggest, baddest monster right in front of that wall. If Max tells me to run through it, I'm running through that monster and I'm going to run through the wall. That's what Max brings out. And I think, yeah. I think that's kind of the, the, the feeling that players have for Josh. I'm just, I'm just saying it, I, you know, just talking to different people, but that doesn't make Chandler a bad teammate. That doesn't mean that he doesn't care. And Josh spoke volumes about Chandler, you know, how he's helped him out and everything else this week. But there's, there's something, there's something to definitely take a look at. Well, we're going to get to take a look at it this week in Manhattan against Kansas State. This is really uh, a battle for the inside track to the third place in the conference, or to be the third best team. And in you know, as you said, in in a sense, the Frogs still control their own destiny. I mean, I think they have the hardest schedule in the Big Twelve. I mean, they've who else has Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas Tech, Kansas State. Uh, you know, I know Baylor's not great. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but like they've they've got a beefier schedule than everybody else. You know, they've they've got the top three teams that I think we all agree to in in OU, Texas, and Kansas State. And I'm not sure anybody else is carrying that much uh, this season, but it's in front of them, and they seem better prepared now than they would have been a week ago. And obviously, with Josh coming out there against uh, against BYU, it's got to give him some confidence to go up to Manhattan. So, just in in brief to wrap up here, what do you expect uh, from Kansas State, and what do you expect from the Frogs going up there to Manhattan? Because it's always a tough place to win. Yeah, you're right about that. It, it, they're going to play assignment football on defense. They don't make very many mistakes. They intercepted Jake Strong three times the other day, but Jake does not throw the ball as well as as, as Hoover does. He doesn't make decisions. Kind of looks down as guys. And that's one thing that I really, really like about Josh. There was a play where I think he, yeah, he came back to Savion one play. Savion was on at X by himself, and Josh takes a snap and he's looking right the whole time, right, right, right. Looks left, fires it to Savion. Like, how can you defend that? I mean, he does such a great job of of looking off his receiver. So <laughs> if Josh. It's going to depend on the play of Josh, man. It, it, I hope for his sake and for you guys' sake as fans that he goes up there and has a decent game. I think it's going to be very tough for him to go up there and throw for 300 yards because because K State just does a good job in pass defense. And like I said, they're they're a good they're a good defense. If if Josh struggles. Hopefully, Monty Bailey's. Hopefully, it's Monty's time to shine, like he has been all year. I do feel like with Josh, it's it's going like I said earlier in the in the show. It's going to complicate things for K State's defense because now you just can't defend them one dimensionally. Um, as a defense, I think Will Hart, Howard is struggling a lot right now uh, for Kansas State. But <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it. Long blonde hair, Avery Johnson. Avery Johnson. He's going to make plays. He's Sunshine. Well, I'll, I'll tell you about that. Like, let, me, let me tell you something. <laughs> Avery, when he came down to visit, uh, TCU, really, TCU really liked him a lot. They, I mean, he's, he, he was perfect for their offense. He's, he's a kid that can throw, and he, he's a kid that can run. And and they wanted him. The new staff didn't really recruit him recruit him that much, but Avery Avery is uh he's gonna he's gonna make some fans mad because he's just he's so he's he's good man. He's just he's just a really good player, and he's so he's he's kind of like JP. Doesn't look like he's moving fast, but he's such a long strider that he just runs away from people, and. They're going to use him. They're they're going to use him because guess what's hurt TCU's defense this year? Running quarterbacks. Garrett Green did it all. That's mobile, mobile quarterback. Yeah. So when you look at how West Virginia, you don't think Chris Kleiman's looking at what West Virginia did to TCU and thinking, okay, well, here's what we can do. We're gonna we're gonna put Avery out here and let him run this play like Garrett Green did. So it, it's going to be a challenge. Um, 
I don't have a prediction yet. I still have to watch a little bit more K-State. I, but like I said earlier, I do feel a lot more optimistic about this game than I did seven days ago. Because seven days ago, I, I, I would have told you they're going to go up there and get bombed. Um, but it's funny how one player can really change change your line of thinking, and hopefully I'm not putting too much emphasis on him and uh, thinking he's going to just completely change his program because Chandler Morris-Baylor, that's all I can say. Chandler Morris-Baylor, Chandler Morris-Baylor, Oklahoma State the next week was not Chandler Morris-Baylor. That was that was not, not a good showing. So let's, uh, let's hope Josh continues his uh, strong play up in a very, very strong, strong place to play. Well, we will all find out this uh, this Saturday, and uh, we'll be back here on the Frogcast Sunday night to to recap it. So, hey, it's a good time to be a Frog fan because anytime you can get a win like that, have a historic moment, that's great. Looking forward to seeing what the Frogs can do up in Manhattan against uh, the Fighting Bill Snyders. Hey, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. As always, you can log on to hornfrogblitz.com, your one-stop shop for everything going on inside and around the program. Jeremy Clark and Jamie Plunkett keep you plugged in to what's going on in football, basketball, baseball, everything you want to know about TCU sports you're going to find right here at Horn Frog Blitz. And thanks so much for subscribing to the Frogcast. We want you to give us a rating and review on your podcasting app of choice. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. And we would love for you to pass the word out about what's going on here on the Frogcast. we got good content, and we want to see our audience continue to grow. So until we get together next time, hopefully to celebrate a big win over K-State, for Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.